Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. This week we'll have another episode of JP's Dystopic Journal. Fear is the coin of the left's realm, and that will be the topic of discussion this week on the Dystopic Journal. We're going to explore the ways that the left are both fearful as a group and utilize fear to control each other and us. And so today I'm going to talk about how fear is the coin of the collectivist realm. Fear is a powerful motivator. It's a survival mechanism and it's been around probably for as long as animals have been around. It can have positive effects. Fear of a bear, for instance, can cause you to stop in your tracks and slowly put some distance between you and it. Fear of your family starving can make you hunt that same bear for food. It also can be used against you. Fear of the socialists coming and taking away all private property led to the rise of fascism in Europe. Fascists, in turn, used the fear of beatings, killings, vandalism, and imprisonment to control the population that did not agree with their methods. Fear makes people treat others horribly. Look at what people did to each other during the height of the COVID pandemic. Mass Nazis, forced inoculations, masking of two-year-olds on airplanes and kids in school all became a thing because of fear. Businesses were shut, and our human rights to free speech, to assemble peacefully, and to worship as we see fit, among others, were abridged with alarming ease and regularity by authorities on the word of experts. People who had developed natural immunity due to having the disease were fired for not getting vaccinated. A disease dangerous to a certain portion of the population cause friends and neighbors to turn against each other. Even when it became apparent that some of the methods at best did little good and at worst were counterproductive didn't matter, neither to those driven by fear nor to those who drove the fear. Fear of nature is one of the oldest fears. It's why smart people don't go out in a thunderstorm, build houses in dry riverbeds, or build condos in the Sahara. Humans, despite all our technology, still cannot predict with any great accuracy earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, or where lightning will strike next. We cannot even predict the weather more than a few days in advance. In ancient times, fear of Mother Nature caused people to throw others into volcanoes or disembowel them on stone altars. Centuries later, fearful still demand sacrifice be made in order to ensure good weather. We must sacrifice our farms, our comforts, sometimes even our livelihoods in the name of appeasing the gods of climate change. Entire countries have been destroyed, and still others are determined to follow their brothers down the path of economic and national suicide. Many of those most easily convinced to alter their lifestyles insubordinate 
their well-being and the well-being of their families because of fear overwhelmingly share another trait besides and perhaps because of their fears they tend to be members of the political and social left they prostrate themselves at the feet of the state and of so-called experts they are fully prepared to make others do the same in fact they scoff at those who don't share their often irrational fears fearing perhaps their inability to make it on their own tends toward the various forms of collectivism and inevitable authoritarianism that follows on the other side of that same coin are the fear mongers who are all too willing to accommodate the fearful fear is the coin of the realm for the left they employ tactics of fear and even terror to control others they use deception to exaggerate the nature of the danger then they exaggerate or even falsify the effectiveness of their solutions they in turn fear that if they are not in control someone else will be or even worse no one else and that scares them the most this sort of control also tends to be instrumental in achieving financial gains for those in power convenient So left, as a rule, are governed by fear. And they assume that everybody else will be too. They assume that they know, that what they know is enough to rationalize their fear. That their uh, fear is somehow a product of uh, their superior intellect or their superior understanding of the facts in front of them uh, but really they are being driven by feeling okay because fear is a feeling okay fear is not a really quantifiable fact in any way and so they are governed in general by feelings and as left often is um they are are governed by feelings of fear of jealousy of rage of disappointment of sadness what have you so the left tends to as a group be governed by their feelings more so i think than the rest of us particularly those who are on the right who are more maybe libertarian in nature and so the the people the left they don't understand our refusal in some cases to follow their edicts to follow like say mask mandates and accept at a word uh the facts about inoculations and how well the vaccine uh may work um they also don't understand how we don't want to be subject to their rules the kind of national suicide that we saw for instance take place in sri lanka and that's happening now in other parts of the 
world, particularly in the Netherlands. Netherlands, of course, as I mentioned before, their farmers have gone on strike. The fear there is that the use of nitrogen and uh, ammonia in their fertilizers is going to cause damage to the environment uh, to agree that can't be handled, that cannot be overcome. Now, never mind that the Dutch farmers have been steadily decreasing over the past few decades. The amount of nitrogen that they're putting into the soil, that's not good enough. And so what the leaders, particularly in the Netherlands, are doing are exploiting this fear of climate change and climate change alarmism. They're exploiting this fear among a good uh, segment of their population as an excuse to control the farmers. Now, what many believe that the government, that the state actually wants, those in are making these rules, is they want the farmers' land for themselves. That's something that I've heard from multiple sources uh, knowledgeable about uh, the situation. That seems to be a uh, pretty common uh, theory among the people in the Netherlands. And also you have uh, the Germans. The Germans are looking at a very cold winter. They are resorting to firing up uh, coal-fired plants again and, and uh, maintaining their nuclear power because without the uh, use of Russian oil, Russian nat nat natural gas, they're going to be... Um, facing a very cold winter and they're looking at um, possibly dangerous situations in that country and other countries of course are following them down this dangerous road. Canada for instance is also doing this. They are also um, destroying their their farming sector, their their um, their, their farming and uh, the raising of cattle, uh, they're just destroying that sector of their economy in the name, they say, of fighting climate change, of protecting us from ourselves. And so that's them, again, exploiting the fear or the fearful nation or the fearful ways of a good segment of their population. They're exploiting that fear to get the, achieve the aims of a certain segment of the population that will benefit. Now, who's going to benefit? Uh, largely, it's these uh, oligarchs. These are the uh, large uh, companies and corporations throughout Europe and North America that stand to make a, a whole lot of money. And, of course, the more they can control of what you do, um, they control the energy supply. That's a good way of controlling the population as a whole. You control the energy and the food supply. You can control just about every facet of an economy or any facet of society you want to. Um, those, those two things, they already control the health care. Um, for a large part, they do in Europe and also in Canada. 
they control the healthcare. So you control that healthcare, you control the energy, and you control the food production of a country. And basically, you have that country, uh, a country that's uh, going to bend to your will, or that you think will bend to your will. The problem is, of course, that like the farmers who are protesting in the Netherlands, they're not about to give up their way of life easily. And also, you, you saw that with the uh, truckers uh, earlier, earlier, earlier on in the year. You saw them um, take to the streets of Ottawa and clog up the streets of Ottawa, and they uh, blocked the bridges for temporarily going between Canada and the United States. That was in response to their government's attempt to uh, force them to be inoculated. Now, of course, if you're a trucker, you know, that's the most solitary profession just about you can have. And those, you know, naturally, if you think about it, they're the least susceptible to any communicable disease. And so having, uh, making them take a vaccine even if it's somewhat effective and now the the question of its effectiveness is coming into question again particularly with the recent variants that we're seeing pop up it's evading the um, vaccine's ability to prevent the COVID-19 disease at best and this is what the even experts this is part of built into the narrative now even at best what the experts will say is that having the vaccine mitigates the um, the effects of the disease, the negative effects of the disease, so that you're a little bit less likely to end up in the hospital or die from COVID-19. But they're no longer even uh, using the operating under the pretense that the COVID-19, the mRNA uh, vaccines in particular, are going to prevent the uh, spread of the disease or it's not it's not really going to prevent you from um, contracting the disease now president biden himself apparently has contracted covid19 not once but twice now probably there's also uh, a lot of false positives when it comes to covid19 so we don't know um, if one of those episodes, probably the, the last more, the latest episode was probably, um, this is just my guess, but it's probably a false positive could have been, but it doesn't speak well in any case to the effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine and whatever you can imagine that everybody around him, he's the president of the United States. So everybody around him is being tested. He's being tested on a regular basis probably on a daily basis. Everybody around him is being tested probably on a daily basis. I know that was the case before. It's probably still the case. And so even with all these precautions in place, he's still got COVID at least once that we know of, probably twice, at least he's come up positive, which is not the same thing as having necessarily COVID as a disease, but you can be false positive for the disease too. And that's pretty common. But at any rate, um, we can believe it ha he had it at least once. Uh, the vice president 
um, Kamala Harris has had it uh, several times. I think like three at last count. Three times at last count she's had it. Again, could be false positives. Um, could be. One could guess, speculate, maybe, that they're using COVID-19 as an excuse not to do certain things, not to attend certain public events or to go overseas. It seems like every time that Kamala Harris is supposed to travel overseas or do something, you know, travel on business, she contracts COVID. No, maybe that's a little bit cynical, but that seems to be the case. But anyhow, you have these people, um, of course, Democrats, are um, generally on the left, virtually. I mean, the left controls their party, even if not 100% of their party is leftist. The leftists basically control their party. And so they've used uh, fear of this disease. They used fear to curtail our First Amendment rights of free speech. Um, if you said anything that might in any way suggest the lack of effectiveness of the vaccine or the mask, um, that you were denied your First Amendment right to say that, or you were denied, uh, more exactly, your natural right, your God-given right to speak out and to be heard. Um, because they, you know, the left will try and get you on the technical level. Well, it's, it's not really... The government, you know, your Twitter is not the government. They're not controlled by the government. Well, first of all, the government is colluding. And I think there's um, some proof of this that's starting to come out. Um, but there definitely seems to be the definite possibility that the government has colluded with Twitter and Facebook and other social media pro uh, platforms to basically censor any information on COVID-19 or, or COVID or on any number of subjects that they don't like. So they don't like people talking about what they're doing. And that's what they're using to control people. They're controlling the discourse. So now you have the left. They're controlling the food supply. They're controlling the medical supply, at least in many cases, particularly in Europe and Canada. They're controlling the energy supply, and there's, they're controlling the supply or the flow of information. And so they're using these four things. I mean, how many more things do you need to control, to control entire society, to make them bend to your will? I mean, I think pretty much the Chinese um, in Mao's time and the uh, fascists and the Russians or the, the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union, could have only dreamt of these measures of control. I'm sure that the folks in North Korea are really happy to have these uh, methods of controlling the population now. And, of course, uh, China. But it is funny that people in the so-called free world, you look at company, or countries like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, they're going 
down a have gone down a strict authoritarian route, uh, especially in the light of the COVID pandemic. But also now you're seeing it more. Um, they switched over from COVID to climate change alarmism. Okay, and so just to get it out of the way. Um, we're going to say that the climate is always changing. It always has changed, always will change. And we don't really know what man has done to create this change or to exacerbate the problem. And so we don't know. And they're using our that element of the unknown to control us because we fear the unknown, right? That's one of the sources of the fear. We, we don't know what the weather is going to be tomorrow. We don't know if that volcano is going to blow up tomorrow. We don't know if there's going to be an earthquake. Um, we now are starting only in the last few decades to know if even a typhoon or a hurricane is coming our way. Um, we can barely predict the weather a few days in advance, let alone uh, weeks, months, and years. But nonetheless, we're, we're basing what we're doing according to predictions that go out uh, decades, 10, 20, 30 years, sometimes even 50 years. Um, things that obviously will not be a, in any way verifiable. Okay. And so they, they want to keep things as much as they can in the realm of the unknown. And so they're operating off of un the unknown, which is ignorance, and also of fear. And a lot of that fear is irrational because it's being based upon the ignorance or the elements of the unknown. Or, in some, you know, too many variables, particularly when it comes to the weather, to predict the weather or the climate. Um, there's probably tens of thousands of independent variables that ha all have some sort of effect on the climate and the weather. And so they have all of these models. Um, the farther out in time they go, the less accurate they get. And so that's they're using that fear. And now they're, they've kind of codified that fear into things like ESG scores and social credit scores in the, in the case of communist China. And so now you have countries like Sri Lanka who are chasing after great ESG scores. Uh, Sri Lanka had an EF ESG score of something like 98 plus. Okay, they had one of the highest ESG scores of any country. And yet a, a lot of other countries um, like the Dutch are not far behind them. They have a very high ESG score. But what, how much are they going to pay for that good ESG score? Okay, and these are all, so these, you have the global elites like the World Economic Forum and the oligarchs who are part of the World Economic Forum um, coming up with these policies and in many cases using fear to have the people accept these policies and have accept the imposition of these policies. Some of them are basically economic suicide, like in the case of Sri Lanka, and probably in the case of Canada and the Netherlands too. It's economic suicide. How do you uh, get somebody to act against their uh, ordinary self-interest? You get them, you control them 
foremost by using fear. You exaggerate the effects or the dangers and you exaggerate the effects of the solution. And that's what these globalists and other people uh, seeking power throughout the world and throughout the different governments and throughout business are trying to, to accomplish. They are trying to accomplish fear through mainly through fear and misinformation. You know, it's ironic that they talk about so much about misinformation. That's because the more accurate information, the better picture you have, the less fear you have. It doesn't matter what the subject is. The more uh, a person tends to know about a subject, even if it's something scary, um, the more they know about it, the more they understand, the less they are afraid of it. And the left does not want that. They want you to be afraid. Now, obviously, the other phase is one that I also talked about um, uh, while I was going through the essay, uh, where I say uh, it can also be used against you. Fear of the socialists coming and taking away all private property led to the rise of fascism in Europe. And that is indeed what happened in Italy under Mussolini. Um, they were in other countries too, Germany and France, um, but mainly in Italy at the time, in the uh, third, 1930s and 1930s, there was this fear. They saw what happened in Russia. They saw the Russian Revolution. And now in the early 20s, they're afraid that this revolution, this uh, communist revolution that seizes all the private property is going to come for them. And so the response was to come up with a, not an alter alternative to socialism, but a different kind of socialism that didn't depend upon the, the class struggle that the international socialists or the communists were depending upon. And so it was actually the fear of having communists seize and nationalize all these industries and businesses that led to the formation of the fascist party in Italy. And so there you go. And then, of course, the fascists themselves, they use, of course, fear tactics. You know, they're, they sent down their black shirts, their jackbooted thugs, and, and smashed down doors and imprisoned people and beat people up. And sometimes they killed people, uh, all to inst instill fear. And so they're reacting, uh, on one hand, to fear, the fear in this case of communism, international communism, uh, but also they're using fear themselves to... Uh, give themselves power. Once they figured out that they can they can achieve power themselves and overpower the socialists and communists in their country, they could achieve power, that political and economic power themselves and keep it to themselves. And so that's what happened in countries like Italy and Germany in the 1920s and 30s. And it's also happened, uh, you can see that in Venezuela, you see what happened when they nationalized industries there, the company's private industry there in Venezuela. You saw that. And you also saw that in Cuba, they nationalized the industries, you know, they nationalized the fruit farmers and all the different industries in Cuba. A lot of the Cuban businessmen fled to the United States. That's why there's a huge uh, population of Cubans, particularly in Southern Florida and the Miami area. That's why you have all the the 
a huge Cuban population in Florida now is because the communists drove them out. And of course, it was the same thing uh, with the Eastern Europeans. The communists drove them out of their countries of Czechoslovakia, of, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, of Russia, of Belarus, and all of these uh, different countries in Europe, of Hungary, and they drove them from their countries of origin to the United States or to the rest of Europe. And that's what happened. The ones were made, of course, uh, were subjugated to the tyranny of the gulags or the Nazis or the black shirts and brown shirts. Or sometimes in the case of Spain, they did a quasi uh, fascist, but not really fascist government um, but it was still totalitarian, authoritarian in nature. Also in Spain, same, same general idea, although they're not technically fascist, I suppose. But anyhow, the, uh, left, my synopsis, I guess, of what I'm saying is the left utilizes fear. People on the left tend to be very fearful. It's kind of like the old joke now. Um, with COVID, you see that person driving alone in their car with their mask on. Well, you know that they're a Biden supporter. You don't need to see their bumper sticker. Okay, you know they're a Biden supporter. They know that they're from the left, that, that they, they know they're of the left. And so that's one of the common binding ingredients that leftists all have is their fear. They either are fearful themselves or they exploit fear because they understand that what makes them fear, they assume that other people are going to be made afraid too. And they, they actually look down upon people who refuse to give in to fear and refuse to give in to their drastic uh, draconian measures like masking everywhere they go or shutting down their businesses. They, uh, they aim their division at people who, because they don't understand anybody who's not as fearful as them. And so that's why you have this uh, widening division between the left and the right, particularly in the United States at this time. Is all A lot of that is driven by fear. It's a fearful people. They don't understand why this person over here is not fearful too. They don't understand why he doesn't want to wear a mask or get the jab or whatever. They don't understand that. They think that you're an idiot and they uh, pour their derision upon you uh, for refusing to follow their program. Even though in many cases, we're actually the ones who are following the science and things that we said uh, a year or two ago, you know, all these studies are coming out and a lot of what we've said about masks, ineffective of cloth masks in particular, um, some of the dangers is coming out now that the uh, Pfizer and other companies are being forced to release their data on the side effects of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, that's coming out and a lot of the things that we said were, were going to happen or are starting to happen. So what was a conspiracy theory a year or two ago is now being proven more and more to be fact. Um, but the people don't want that. Um, 
they need you to be part of the program as the other half of the left is the ones that are using fear to control others they're using it to control each other and they're using it to control you they don't understand why you won't go with their program because they don't value freedom the way that we do a lot of us do and they don't understand how why we put such a premium on our freedom we know that once freedom is lost it's very hard it's almost impossible to get back at a certain point it's virtually impossible to get back unfortunately without um, some sort of violence that's why we had the american revolution um that's why we fought world war ii because it got so bad in europe and uh in asia that the only way to extricate yourself from this tyranny was through warfare and so that's unfortunate um hopefully we're not going to go that far down that path again but who knows i mean things um you know crazy crazier things have happened particularly in the last few years so who can say hopefully we will be smart enough to avoid um any uh violent violent confrontation or anything like that so hopefully we'll, we're smart enough we're moral enough to do everything that we can and not give in to fear and that's i guess my point for today is you know you are you know there's no freedom you know fear is the antithesis of freedom okay you cannot be fearful and free at the same time it takes a certain amount of bravery and it's understandable we're all afraid of something right we're all afraid of different things and to different levels and the secret is to overcome those fears particularly when they're irrational and the more we understand about things the more we educate ourselves about these matters like climate change we understand the implications of weaning ourselves off of fossil fuels too soon too early in the process we understand that if you cut down the amount of fertilizer if you abandon the modern father uh, farming methods that we that have gone us by so far that allowed uh seven billion people plus to inhabit this earth so far and feed almost all of them uh it's due to the modern uh uh farming methods and we abandon those methods at our peril and it's our understanding of these things and it's our understanding it's the farmers understanding about how farmers work and what sort of fertilizers work and what fertilizers don't work and how much land takes to uh achieve a certain crop yield that you want you know the farmers have all this down to a science it's agricultural science aggie science right and so they understand this and there's other people that understand climate change they understand that for instance amsterdam uh, parts of amsterdam are several feet under below sea level and yet their country is dry amsterdam is dry okay the netherlands are dry because they found the way through technology to uh, build a system of levees and dikes in that country that keeps their country from from flooding over 
and of course you see uh, in Venice, Venice has been around, it's been underwater for a couple hundred years. They've learned how to live with that. And so, you know, the, the left had, would have us be, um, they talk about the rising seal almost a lot. And the object is to make us fear. They tell us, well, Miami is going to be underwater or New York City is going to be underwater in 10, 20, 30 years. So we do nothing, right? Um, but then you look at a city like New Orleans, a lot of New Orleans is, uh, below sea level and they're dry. I mean, they got a little bit wiped out in Katrina, but we learned from our mistakes and now we've done the proper engineering, hopefully, um, because we are human beings and we're able to adapt we're able to use our reason to overcome problems. And that's one of the things that the left doesn't understand is that you're not if you're living in Miami you're not just going to sit there and drown and not have your and have your city go underwater no you're going to build levees dikes uh whatever it takes to um to protect yourself against flooding um same thing goes with like um like in New Orleans, what they've already done, they've built up their levees and dikes after Katrina, their dams, and they have a system, you know, they have a whole system of uh, hydraulics now going on in that city that's keeping their city from being flooded. They're, you know, their New Orleans should be underwater every time there's a thunderstorm, every time there's a big thunderstorm, let alone a hurricane. Same thing with... Um, a uh, place like Amsterdam in the Netherlands. All right. So basically you don't want to uh, give in the fear. Use your reason. We have reason. God gave us reason for a reason. Okay. Give, gave us our, these big brains of ours for a reason. We're, we're there. We're giving them to use and we can use them to plot how we're going to control others or we can use them to figure out how to overcome the problems that humanity faces, uh, including some of those that are proposed by nature. Um, uh, how we're going to deal with natural forces. And so that is all I have on that topic today. I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate your um your attendance and see you next time on JP's dystopic journal. And so I hope you enjoyed that segment of the Liberty Relearn podcast. Um, that's going to be a regular feature. I think on the four on the park podcast, I think it went a little bit longer than I wanted, but I had a lot to say on the subject, as you can tell. Um, so let's talk about some of the other things that in particular are in the news. Now, uh, last week I mentioned the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, President Trump's house. And so some new details have come out before, uh, since then. And so here are my thoughts on that. Uh, of course, there was the search warrant that was made public a few days ago. It outlined in general some of the things that they were looking for. There was supposed to be 
classified documents. There were supposed to be nuclear secrets there. Uh, several things that there were supposed to be, and they were supposed to be uh, all in violation of uh, the Espionage Act or the Documents Act, whatever, I forget what that's specifically called. But mainly uh, breaking those two laws. Now the thing is that the president has the possibility of um, the president has the possibility uh, well he has the capability of declassifying documents and according to President Trump he uh, declassified en masse all of the documents relating to Russiagate, the Russia collusion hoax and of the uh, Hillary's email scandal he declassified all of those documents. And I believe, I mean, we don't know for sure, but I think that's probably what was in Mar-a-Lago that he took with him. Now, what's coming out since then, what some other people have speculated, and I tend to agree with, is that the real reason that the FBI did the search warrant in lieu of a subpoena is that that gave them the chance to take basically whatever they saw. Um, they could say they're looking for documents. There's one uh, classified document um, or, or or classified uh, with a classified letterhead on it. Uh, they can take that entire box. Anything that's under the subpoena, they see one piece of paper in that box, they can take the entire box. And I think that's what they wanted. Now, what did they think was in those boxes? Well, see, even if they thought they were going to find classified documents, well, the the, the president as commander-in-chief has the ability to declassify documents. He has the complete ability as commander-in-chief to declassify documents. And so that's what he did. It'd be hard to prove that he didn't, right? What are you going to say? Uh, where did you write it? Well, he put out apparently a memo or a tweet saying that he declassified the documents. And so how are you going to prove that he didn't? You know, you can't. So they, there's no crime there. And really anybody writing that into the search warrant would have known that there's no way that that can be upheld. It's not going to, it's not going to stand the scrutiny, uh, probably even the district court, let alone the Supreme court. Okay. that, that, uh, you know, so the declassification thing is not going to be a thing. It's not going to even uh, matter to, there's no, there can be no crime connected to classified documents in there. And so what, what did they want? Uh, some people have speculated and agree, again, I agree with them, is they believe that there are documents in there that would tend to exonerate the president. And that's what they really are after. Uh, they want to know what those documents are. They either one, know what they are. And once they find them, they're probably going to make those documents disappear. So it would be interesting if, if the president cataloged any of those documents. And of course, there's a, a paper trail right? You have a, uh, chain of custody document that comes with any classified documents in this country. 
And so the thing is, if they gave, if someone gave the uh, documents to the president and they were classified at the time, and they were still, let's say that they're still somehow classified. Well, they have no record of getting those documents back. Okay, so they would be implicated because they didn't follow the chain of custody rules too. They're supposed to know exactly where those documents are at all times, what those documents are and where they are, and they're supposed to get them back. Okay, and so it kind of, that's another thing that kind of puts a damper on the FBI's assertion that there there was a law broken with regards to classified. So I believe that the most likely um, scenario, the one that stands up to Occam's razor, you know, the one that requires the least assumptions, is that the FBI wants to find documents that would tend to exonerate the president. They're looking for those documents, and they're probably, if they find them, I think they're probably going to make them disappear. Uh, the other thing they're trying to do is just cause trouble for the president. They want to be able to call him a, they want to charge him with a crime. They want to slap him with the label of someone who was charged with a crime. And so they want to charge, and they want to slap him with that label. And so they want to be able to do that, and they want to be able to do that before the midterms, certainly before he announces his run for office. And he'll probably do that, a lot of people think he'll do that shortly after the midterm elections. Um, but he'd like to do that, he'd like to, f the part of their strategy, as I mentioned, I think last week, is they want to force candidates, Republican candidates, to distance themselves from the president. And the uh, President Trump had a lot of success with president with candidates that got his blessing. A lot of them won their primaries. And so a lot of the candidates out there have President Trump's blessing. And what the press and the Democrats want to do is to drive a wedge between them. They want to f force those uh, candidates to disavow any having to do anything with uh, Trump. And they also want to force the voters to uh, disavow. They want to suggest to the voters that the uh, candidate that has Trump's blessing has disavowed that blessing. Okay, that they reject uh, Trump's endorsement. Uh, they, they're, they're, they think they can make the voter, the Trump voter, in particular, pick sides. Um, well, actually, particularly the voter in the middle, I suppose, the centrist voter who's not really an ardent Trump supporter per se, but maybe tends to vote Republican or just doesn't like uh, Biden that much. They, they think that the Biden regime is doing a bad job in Washington, D.C. And so they want to get rid of Congress and uh, they want to get rid of later uh, Biden or whoever runs for president in uh, 24. But they want to force the voter to have to choose and to uh, disavow their loyalty or their allegiance or what, what have you for Trump. And, and they're trying to get between the voter and Trump. They're trying to give, particularly the ones on the fence, 
like the centrist or the wishy-washy voter or the person who normally votes Democrat but just can't really get behind Biden. They want to get them to stay home in November. That's really their only hope because the, the Democrats, what do they have to run on? They have high inflation. They have high gas prices. They have high energy prices. Um, yes, the gas prices are coming down a little bit. Um, but that's mainly due to the fact that they always come down between uh, Memorial Day and Labor Day in the United States. They go down in June. They start going down in June. They start going back up after Labor Day when people are starting to get ready for holidays for Thanksgiving. And so the prices will go back up. Maybe not hopefully as far as they, they will. Um, but still, you're having a general trend up in gas prices they're, they're they're not approving new drilling they're not approving any new exploration so our ability to expand the universe of available fossil fuels is not growing it's in fact shrinking and so the amount of places that the uh, companies are allowed to drill is finite or it's not growing it's in fact shrinking and of course that's going to serve to drive up the price and so that's what the uh, Democrats are looking for and they they think they have a victory in um, this inflation reduction act I call it the inflation production act because that's what it's going to do it's still doing um, billions of dollars uh, hundreds of billions of dollars in deficit spending and it's taxing now, the trick that they're using, if you really dig into it and you've really been paying attention to what the experts, I mean, like real experts, real economists are saying about how we're going to have to get out of this inflationary spiral, is you have to slow down spending, okay? You have to make people spend less. And so what this bill is going to do is give people less money to spend so it's going to force them to spend less because they're going to have less money they're going to be spending more in taxes okay and so yes so theoretically that's going to have some impact in inflation but not the way that you think not the way that you'd want to have an impact on inflation again they're trying to cut down inflation by cutting down the amount of spending and if people aren't spending then the economy slows down and with the entire economy slowing down inflation slows down with it the problem is that uh, wages are not going to rise hiring is not going to rise if it's more expensive for a company to hire people they're just not going to hire people and they're going to or they're going to slow down their expansion into other areas or expanding their business and so you're going to have recession and so the the inflation production bill is really trying to fight inflation through recession that's what it's about it's fighting fl inflation through recession and that's what you have to understand now you also have to understand that in good economies, in good healthy economies, you have low inflation. Okay, everything, everybody's making everything that they, is needed. 
everybody has money to pay for it. You know, lots of people have jobs. Everybody that can work is working. Uh, when you have a good economy, when the economy is uh, booming, that's when you tend to have less inflation. Inflation tends to hang around bad economies. And so rather than fix inflation by making the economy good, they're fixing inflation by making the economy bad. And so, you know, that's good for, um, that's good for the Republicans, I think, in 24, because even if we're coming out of this uh, inflationary spiral, by the way, I don't think that, well, we'll probably have a Republican Congress. So that's only going to, that's going to be the only thing standing in between uh, more huge bills like um, three quarters of a trillion dollars or a trillion plus dollars that are being proposed or have been proposed in the past. And so you're going to have uh, less bills uh, approaching the trillion dollar mark like you had in the last few years. And so that's going to slow down inflation. If you just slow down the growth growth of government, that's going to help. Um, you remember in uh, England, right, or in Britain under Margaret Thatcher, um, Thatcher came in in pretty bad economy. There were strikes happening all the time. And what she did was she, um, she uh, denationalized a lot of the industries and she shut down coal industries that uh, coal mines that were producing. They were there. They were, the idea was that you, you keep unproductive, un, uh, uh, economically viable coal mines, for instance, in going in Great Britain at the time during the seventies and eighties. And, but the idea was that you were providing coal miners with jobs. Um, but she shut down the non-productive ones. But that served eventually to help out, you know, help um, Britain get out of the recession. And, of course, it was around the same time that uh, Ronald Reagan was president. He was, it took like two years for America to finally turn around. So he was in the office for at least two years. And then finally the, the uh, recession that he inherited from Carter started to end. And so it's, it's things like that, getting the government out of unproductive, um, non-wealth producing things, this, this command economy, you go back to talking about the fascists, fascism had a command economy where the state always had one hand on the wheel, okay, of the, of the economy, uh, it was like them having a board member on the board directors of every corporation. And so that's what the fascists had at the time. And so anyway, getting back to us saying it's going to help the Republicans, I think, in, um, in 24, because things are not going to be great, even if suddenly through the encouragement of a Republican Congress, that the right things start to happen to turn the economy around, it still takes a couple of years. You know, it's like 
um, turning around the aircraft carrier. You know, it takes a long time. And so turning around the ship of state economically takes a long time too. And so we could well be, even if uh, we're heading out of the recession now, like when George W. Bush was um, not elected, didn't receive a second term, uh, also due to Ross Perot, but because the, he had encountered a recession, um, the, company, the country was actually headed out of the recession by the time um, the election took place, but the effects hadn't caught up yet. And so the, the general public hadn't seen enough of the effects, even though on paper the United States was already out of the recession by the time he, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush left office. And so President Clinton benefited from the public perception. And so I think the Republicans are now going to be in the, in the position that Clinton was in in uh Back in uh, what was it, 1992, I believe. Now that now in uh, 22, the Republicans are going to be in the, in the place of Clinton, and so hopefully we will have we'll be out of the recession by then. Because I've always thought that you know once you start you know digging, stop digging the hole. You know, first thing when you're you know digging your, you're digging yourself deeper is you stop digging the hole. And once we stop digging our hole, metaphorically, with the economy, it takes still takes like two years. It takes two economic cycles for things to catch up and for the housing market to start to catch up and for the economy to start being good. So the numbers, even if we start doing things right in 2023 with a Republican Congress, It'll still take a while, still take until 2024 for, for the uh, good parts to hit. And so I want to thank you for listening, and we will see what happens. And remember, um, don't give in to fear. Um, fear is the mind killer. Um, so we'll leave it at that. And thank you for listening, and I appreciate you following libertyrelearn.com online. Following Liberty Relearned on Facebook, following the LR podcast on Getter, and following me, JP Mac, on Parlor. And hopefully, we'll have more stuff for you in the future. Um, really going to step up. Uh, particularly, you're going to see, I think, a lot more. Probably going to make the dystopic journal. Probably, it's going to be like a spinoff of this program, but we'll see. Uh, stay tuned and until then stay healthy, happy, and free.